0: Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 42 and also from Matthew chapter 3. Hear now God's Word, verses 1 through 9, Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will, and will hold your hand. I will give you, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another." nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And from Matthew, the third chapter, verses 13 through 17, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for, uh, for us to fulfill all righteousness, then he allowed him. And when he had baptized, uh, been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, You may be seated. On this first Sunday after Epiphany, the church traditionally celebrates the baptism of Jesus because it it, it was this event that was the first manifestation, public manifestation, of the glory of God in the beginning uh, ministry of Jesus to the world. The baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist affirmed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. It revealed the humanity of Jesus. It provided an example for others. And it displayed the beautiful revelation of the triune God. It's exciting to see, too, the connection between the two passages we just read from Isaiah 42 and Matthew chapter 3. And it's even more exciting when we see this remarkable power and faithfulness of God to bring about his promised universal victory in Jesus. That is a real theme of the Isaiah passage. When the prophecies of Isaiah, within the prophecies of Isaiah, are what has been called the servant songs, which are prophetic descriptions of the role of God's Messiah or Savior. Isaiah 42 is one of those servant songs. And verse 1 indicates the Lord is speaking of one in whom he delights and who will bring justice to the nations. He came to earth first, not to serve us first, but to serve his Father. Of course, ultimately, that served us. Jesus died for our sins to clear Or to vindicate God's name. He is a just God. How could God be just and merciful to sinners at the same time? How could God pronounce death on the human race because of their sin and yet forgive us? So Jesus came to grant salvation and grace to us sinners. And at the same time to maintain God's holiness. So, a little context here for the Isaiah passage. The kingdom of Judah finds herself in exile with the temple in ruins, and the kingship has come to an end. Zion, in all of its splendor, has been diminished, and some of the uh, Judahites are forced exiles in the foreign land of Babylon. So, without a temple and without a Davidic king, the future of the people seemed pretty bleak, it was very threatened. They needed assurance. They needed assistance. They needed hope. Have you ever needed that? Well, multiply that. The whole nation is in that condition. Into this difficult political and religious situation, the prophet Isaiah introduces this servant figure, this servant king. But is this figure an individual or is it a community? Is the servant a historical person, or is it all of Israel? So the figure is spoken of in individual terms, obviously, but this fact doesn't preclude a collective interpretation. In fact, in Isaiah 49, verse 3, it explicitly names the servant as Israel. It says, And God said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Aware that the Pharisees were looking for a way to assassinate Jesus, uh, Jesus withdrew from, from public view, but the crowds of sick people continued to follow him. And Jesus healed them, but he warned them not to tell anybody who he was. This, says Matthew, was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, are applied then directly to Jesus. In verse 14 of Matthew 3, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying... And then he quotes verses 1 through 5. And here's the text from Matthew 12, uh, verses uh, 14 through 21, quoting that, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and and smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth his justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. So we have an inspired commentary here from the book of Matthew that tells us explicitly that in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, is in fact talking about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. Did Isaiah understand this? Probably not. But this is a good example of what Peter said in his first letter when he said, Of this salvation, the salvation that we have in Jesus, uh, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them. So the Spirit of Christ was in Isaiah, we're told. The Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, that is the prophets, in this case Isaiah, it was revealed not to themselves but to us, Christians, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. I'll call your attention to last week's sermon from Pastor Bradley, one thing that particularly stood out to me. i would never really thought about it before, and I'll emphasize it again, and this text does too, that the angels who were there on the day of creation are the same angels that are watching us and have been watching God's work of redemption unfold throughout human history. I don't know what act we're in, but here's what we know about them: is they don't, they know the ending. It's kind of like you you heard about a movie and you know it has a happy ending, but you're not sure how, and you're in the middle of the story in a book, and bad things are happening. And I just imagine this host of angels watching, as it says here, they long to look. The word there means a strong, passionate desire. They want to know what comes next. How does God get out of this? How does he take Israel with no king and in this horrible condition, how is he going to do what he just said he's going to do? And so they're waiting for the next act. That's a long play. That's a long show. And they're still engaged. They haven't fallen asleep. They're still longing to see what God does next. In other words... Isaiah might not have been able to specifically identify the servant he was prophesying about, but the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament. We might see the same kind of community or individual tension within the interpretation even of the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3. On the one historical and literary level, Matthew is clearly presenting a story about an individual. Jesus is baptized. He is the beloved, he is God's son, the one in whom God is well pleased. On the other, kind of a theological level, we can see ourselves in this baptism experience. We see the Christian community as baptized, like Jesus, into Jesus, by faith, into his body. We become part of him. We are together, the sons of God, and God, who was well pleased with him, because we are in him, is well pleased with us. That's amazing. And so Isaiah has in mind, I think, both the people, that is Israel, and an individual, the Messiah. An ideal Israel who fulfills the call to servanthood and at the same time atones for Israel's failure to serve the Lord. So this ideal Israel... Has a mission to Israel, and we're told in verse seven to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the out the prisoners from the dungeons, and the and the prison those who sit in darkness. Because Israel's failure to be the Lord's servant is so clear, Isaiah must ultimately be speaking about an ideal Israel, uh, an Israel who perfectly obeys the calling of God on the nation. And, of course, this is Jesus. whom the New Testament reveals to be the new Israel of God. Jesus, the ideal Israel, has atoned for the sins of Israel, namely, all those who trust in him. And so what I'd like to do with the rest of our time is just walk through these nine verses in Isaiah, very briefly commenting on them just to see how this Prophecy unfolds and what glorious things are in here, what promises are made. Notice here in the very first verse, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. You'll recall that Jesus himself described himself as a servant. In Acts chapter 3, Peter gives our Savior the title, uh, His Servant Jesus. In Acts 3, and uh, in verse 13 and 26, and in Acts 4, the praying people of God speak of your holy servant, Jesus. Moreover, he is the servant, and everyone should behold, we're told, and look intently at him. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 20 through 28, Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus is baptized, the fulfillment of Isaiah 42:1 is very clearly seen. This is so amazing. Matthew 3:17 and suddenly, right right before he's baptized suddenly. We'd say, out of nowhere, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah 42.1. Jesus is the ultimate elect one, the chosen one. Our election is really a matter of being chosen in Jesus. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 4, God chose us in Christ Before the foundation of the world. When God chooses someone. He delights in them. And that means that if you are chosen in Jesus. Before the foundation of the world. Then God must also delight in you. You do not need to earn the approval of God. You need to realize the approval of God. It's his free gift. We receive it by faith. Continuing in verse 1, he says, I have put my spirit upon him. Again, Matthew 3 gives us this public, this very visible image in, in verse 16 of Matthew 3. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. You've heard that story many times. And you can imagine that image. Right after the baptism, this dove appears out of nowhere, along with this voice that appeared out of nowhere. And the dove lands on Jesus. This Physical visible symbol. Matthew 3.16, Jesus was filled with the Spirit and he executed his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus at his baptism is publicly and officially endorsed by God with the Holy Spirit. And again, Isaiah 42. And verse 1 says, he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are not an afterthought in the Bible. All along, God has promised that he is going to bring the descendants of Abraham, specifically the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus, is going to ultimately bring a blessing to all the nations, to the whole world. That was always the goal. Israel lost sight of that along the way. And so Gentiles became dogs, unclean people, not to be associated with. And God brings Jesus and says no. We're we're, we're taking this message to save the world, not just you. And so uh, the ministry of this servant is not going to be restricted to the Jewish people. This, again, is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He would have a ministry to the Gentiles and bring justice and righteousness to them. Justice to the nations was the mission of this servant, emphasized by its repetition three times in this text. The mission of our servant Savior was to restore peace to the whole world so that everything that has been made wrong by sin will be put right by his work. That's hard to believe. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are hard to believe. But that's why God gave us the Bible, and he tells this kind of story over and over and over and over, from creation to the consummation. Because we, we scratch our surely not. And again, imagine the angels in heaven watching all this unfold and their, their puzzlement at so many things. How's this going to happen? How's this going to work? So, verse 2, He will not cry out nor raise His voice nor cause His voice to be heard in the street. This refers to His gentle and lowly spirit. Jesus is not a loud and bolsterous person. Uh, Acts 8.32 says he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before sh- as a lamb is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He trusted the Father. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. It's easy to read past that, very poetic language, but poetic language is intended to teach us, to cause us to think a little further, to see the image. Imagine how it applies. This is another reference to the gentle character of Jesus. A reed is a fragile plant, and yet if a reed is bruised, we're told that the servant will handle it so gently that he will not break it. By the way, you're the reed. You're the smoldering flax. And if flax, used for tender to start a fire, doesn't flame, but it only smokes, he doesn't quench it, He actually embraces it. He blows on it, if you will. He brings it to life. Instead, the servant fans it into a flame. He deals with us, his people, gently, tenderly, helping them along until the bruised reed is strong and until the smoking flax has brought about a full flame. How does Jesus go about fixing lost sinners? How does he go about bringing the redemptive justice God desires? He does so one image bearer at a time. There are many corporate aspects of what God does Israel as a nation, the church as the new Israel. But he does it for you. He knows you, he knows your name. He knew you before you were born, he's numbered your days. He set his affection upon you. You are the apple of his eye. We are all broken. We are all bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. But Jesus is the divine redeemer who takes broken people with barely any image of God left in them and he heals them and he adds fuel to the smoldering wick and ignites the flame of God's image once again. Verse 3, he will bring forth justice for truth. Again, the servant is gentle, but he is not weak. There, aren't two, there are no two ways about it. This will happen, and failure is not a possibility. See, when God speaks of what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year or a thousand years from now, it is more certain than yesterday's news. Verse 4. Man, this is powerful. He, speaking of the servant, the Messiah, will not fail or be discouraged. Jesus never gets discouraged. It's because he has all power and authority that uh, this is the basis of, really, for our own perseverance. We're in Him. We are in the One who is never discouraged and who cannot fail. If we stick close to Him, we're safe. If He can't fail, we can't fail. If He rises from the dead, we rise from the dead. That's why we need to stick close to Him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He can't fail. He finishes. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He will not be discouraged because he is in the process of doing exactly what he came to do. Verse 4 again, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So the work of the servant, the Messiah, will extend to the whole earth and all the people, even those in the distant coastlands. Uh, we'll hear from it this would really apply to our country right Uh, east coast left uh, left coast right coast east and west can you imagine that even they are going to benefit from this what he's saying is the whole from 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 the from sea to shining sea from border to border to the edges of the earth jesus is the lord our Lord came to the earth with a mission, and he will not stop until that mission is accomplished. Now, that's hard to believe, isn't it? Until he, declares, uh, he ultimately declared from the cross, it is finished, and so he does not let up. He's divinely determined to restore God's image to God's people. And that's not just waiting for sweet, the sweet by and by. He's talking about nations. He's talking about now. He's doing that now. He's been doing that. CNN and Fox News are not reporting this. So stop looking to them for your information and look to the Word of God, which is the one thing that's true and certain and that you can count on, because he will not fail to do what he said he would do. He's doing it. And he's doing it in ways that we have a hard time seeing and imagining. And that's why we have eyes of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We believe God. And that's what we're being called to do in this text. Now that leads us now to the second section of this, verse 5 through 9. Verse 5. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Boy, that's a, a packed verse. It's easy to read past it real quick. You realize God created everything you see and a lot of stuff you can't see all by himself. And he didn't need any help. That's the kind of God we're talking about. Everything. Including you. Here the prophet praises the Lord as the creator of the earth and everyone on it giving him both the power and the authority to remedy what is broken with his creation. So first we should look up because he created the heavens and he stretched them out. And then we should look down because he also spread forth the earth and that which comes from it. And then we should look in a mirror because he gives breath to the people who are on it. The God who did such great things can fulfill his promises about the servant, about the Savior. Here again, Isaiah 42 throws light on the ministry of Jesus inaugurated at his baptism by revealing the identity of that voice that thundered from heaven at his baptism. The one who created everything can certainly bring everything back together. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone, even somebody like you, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Speaking of this servant, uh, you will bring salvation not only to your people, but also to those who are far off, uh, who seem beyond salvation. God's choice of Israel was always designed to bring salvation to the nations and to the world. We see that in Genesis 12 and 17. And when Israel failed at that mission by being self-centered and being a sinful people, God sent His servant Jesus to complete that mission. Israel broke God's covenant, but Yahweh, we're told, will hold, take hold of the servant's hand and I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. Think about this. On the day of Pentecost... Peter preached to the whole world. There they were gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world, spoke different languages, but what happened that day was they heard the gospel in their own native tongue. This was the beginning of the gospel breaking forth, the light breaking forth to the Gentiles, to the whole world. Acts two thirty-eight and 39, and Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember here we have in Isaiah, uh, the Holy Spirit is now coming upon us as it came upon Jesus. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, that's the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God shall call. He will do miracles of restoration and healing, verse 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So he's going to do miracles physically and spiritually. He'll be used to bring sight and freedom to many. And what a glorious promise, each of which are fulfilled in Jesus. By extension, these promises also belong to us, by the way. Jesus prayed in John 17, 18. You know Jesus prayed for you, right? He still prays for you. He intercedes for you. But in John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. We are His body. We now represent Him to the world and we too are baptized servants. Baptism sets us apart. Our baptism is related because it unites us to Christ and his mission to the world. We are sent as Jesus is sent, and we can receive these same promises. We take up the mission of the servant, and we live out our baptismal vows. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I am Yahweh, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. In the previous chapter of Isaiah, there's a, God is bringing judgment upon his people because of idols. And, of course, we have lots of idols everywhere, as Paul said of the Athenians. I can see you're very religious. There's idols everywhere. Well, that's us. And he says, God basically says, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm the one true and living God, and I suffer no competition. They're not going to make it. First, no one else can fulfill these promises, but God will not share his glory with anybody else. It's important to understand that Jesus shares the glory of the Father. John 17:5, Jesus prayed, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Wow. God is master of the past, the former things, and the future. The new things... And being the master of both the past and the future, God has the present well under control right this minute. All that nefarious stuff going on, you think he doesn't know about it? You think somebody's meeting in secret and he doesn't hear? You don't think he can frustrate that? You don't think he has frustrated those kinds of things a zillion times? It's easy. We see this especially in the way that God can declare new things even before they spring forth. How hard would it be to create light? Let there be light. And there was light. That's how easy. And Peter said second peter 119 we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place god's prophetic word fulfilled shows us that the that shows it shows us the confidence we can have in his future promises every time we read a story in the bible over and over and over We see what God said. We see what God did. And you know what? He was right every time. He did what he said he would do, even when all the odds were against him, even when the kings and the rulers of the earth rose up against him and said, let's break his bonds. He's not going to tell us what to do. Where are they? Where are they now? So the ministry of Jesus offers more hope for universal peace than any political manifesto. The ministry of Jesus offers more hope for universal peace than any political manifesto. And as a redeemer who secured our salvation from sin, he dealt with the forces behind all the brokenness of the world, all the ugliness of the world all of your brokenness, all of your ugliness. The Messiah is a liberator like no other. He doesn't just free prisoners from dungeons. He restores sight to the blind. He is a light. And he illuminates not just Israel, but the nations in the ways of truth, and justice. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for revealing to us again and again that there are no circumstances of life, no nation, no king, no enemy that is too great for you to overcome. Indeed, our Savior, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at your right hand, and from that time waiting until all his enemies are made his footstool. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read a couple of other passages from Isaiah as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Isaiah 48, verse 3. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it, suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Verse 5 of Isaiah 48, Even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you. Lest you should say, My idol has done them, and My carved image and My molded image have commanded them. And then verse 11, For My own sake, for My own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned and I will not give my glory to another? One of the central lessons of scripture, which is repeated over and over, is that if God said he would do it, he does it. He doesn't forget. He doesn't change his mind. And if he make, and that's true, whether he makes a threat or a promise, he follows through. He is dependable. We can count on him. Moreover, he does what he does first for his own sake. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. Isaiah fifty-five eleven: So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so he, here's, let's carry this a step further. He has spoken about our future in Christ. You want to know what comes next? You want to know how the story ends? You want to know how your story ends? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because that's true, my beloved brethren, Here's what you need to do right now, because that's your future. Because you have the victory in Jesus. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Wow. Who else has promises like that, given by a God like this? And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you know well, but good to be reminded as we come to the table. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people in the Bible, Hebrews 11, uh, all the people we know about, all the people, all the Christians that have gone before us, all the people, Christians in our lives now, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has something for you to do and for me to do. Looking how? Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, In other words, he he looked beyond the moment. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He looked past the cross. He saw what was on the other side of the cross. And so he could endure the thing in front of him, the cross. Why? He despised the shame of the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we are going to be seated with him forever. Amen. O God, our shield, protect us now as you have in the past from the deceptions of Satan. Cause us to cherish the blessings of your pure word as our fathers in the faith have delivered it to us. Stir up the hearts of our sons and daughters to eager service in your church and give your word free course to bring the joy of salvation to the many who are yet in darkness. May we possess and embrace your word, your sacraments, and your discipline And most of all, may we, as the true church, manifest your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, through all eternity. Amen. Amen. And now may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Amen. <laughs>